You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Y'all doing all right? Thanks for your prayers. Kelly and I got back from Zimbabwe and the rest of the team that doesn't go to church here but elsewhere. And it was a great opportunity for us to, to see our partnership with the orphanage in Zimbabwe and the Shiro Caring Center. And um, no one's been able to be over there um, over the last few years because of COVID. And um, so it was, um, the, it was just an encouraging time. I was telling somebody, I was like, it was encouraging to us to see the team there being encouraged just by our presence. And to see the, the, their spirits enlightened over the few days that we were there together. It is almost a full 48 hours of traveling to get there. Which my tailbone hurt by the time I got there. That's the first time that it's ever happened to me. And um, I did get up and walk around the plane. But, you know, you can only walk around so much. But um, So in the Shiro Caring Center, we had, as a church, we adopted it prior to COVID. Um, so that was like, what? 1995. I don't know when it was. 20, 2020. Um, and uh, so we've we've adopted we adopted them. And um, prior, just prior to that, the founder of the of the orphanage, Namo Chigori, um, was was severely beaten and died as a result of of some of that. And as you can imagine, his wife and the team that worked with him have been were, were in grief um, because of that season. He was a Moses type figure. Um, not only did he start the Nashiro Caring Center, but he started 70 churches and seven schools. Um, and so he was busy <laughs> doing stuff. And so you can imagine when someone like that just suddenly is not there, what that, the kind of the void. And so, um, so in the midst of all that, and then with COVID, um, that's one of the reasons we went over to just kind of see, hey, how can we, how can we put boots on the ground and how can we serve and love you guys and partner with you guys? And so we got to go out to the farm as well, which is uh, literally about 30 minutes from the South African border. So a lot of driving on non-paved roads. And, um, <clears throat> but it was awesome to see the kids and just to see their smiles. They started school on Monday. We left on Sunday a week ago, and they started school the next day. And so just to be able to encourage them and, and, and um, pray for them and be with them. And then also um, when we were meeting here last Sunday... Um, in Zimbabwe, we were having church, and it was the um, Zimbabwe Southern Baptist Convention World Congress. <clears throat> and it has nothing to do with Baptists over here. There just happened to be Baptists in South Zimbabwe, so that's what they call themselves. And uh, so all those churches, all 70 churches came together at the Caring Center, and we had church for three days. And when I mean we had church, like, <clears throat> they actually, they excused us for a little bit because they knew we were going to have to travel and um, they did a little bit of a little meeting or whatever. So I had preached. It was like 9 p.m. on Saturday. And I preached several times that day. And um, then we kind of went to kind of go back to the to the rooms and just kind of chill because we were going to travel for 48 hours. And um, after church the next day. <clears throat> so And church started at 5.30 a.m., by the way, for all day. And uh, so at 11 o'clock as we're going to bed on Saturday night... They start music back up. And I'm thinking, well, this is going to be like the closing hymn or whatever, right? <clears throat> well, at 525 a.m. the next morning, and they've been going all night long, 
I'm like, we're, they're going to usher us into the next day's service, and they did. We came in, and they just, it just continued. So from about 11 o'clock the night before to 5.30 the next day, about almost, what, 12 hours, because we left at, at 11 o'clock that morning, worship was taking place. And so that was, um, that was cool. Um, and it was, it was out of this, out of this desperation um, and, the, and this joy because they hadn't seen each other in four years. So these 70 churches, because of COVID, haven't been able to get together. And so this is really their first time for all these churches to gather together. And just the joy that they had that they'd missed each other, that they haven't been able to worship together. And just that they're like, we don't know when this is going to happen again, so we're not going to let this moment go. And, um, and that's encouraging. Um, and, and it made me just, for me, ask, am I that desperate? In my worship, do I do I long to come on a Sunday or any day to gather with you guys and go? I, I want to hang out with you as long as I can. Um, I don't know, <laughs> but I want it to be that way. I want it to be that that we gather together and that we long to be together to worship, and it it hurts our hearts to not be together. That makes sense. Are y'all with me? Y'all need more coffee and donuts? What is this? Um, and so it was awesome, and it. Um, and I even, I was, this is, I'll, um, there's a guy who was our guide. His name is God Knows. Cool guy. loves Jesus. And, uh, I was, I was, I was actually had a moment to myself and I was reading some stuff preparing for this. And, um, God Knows kind of peered over my shoulder and he started reading what I was reading. And he goes, what's that? And I told him and he we started getting into discussion and, and, um, anyway, the Lord just laid in my heart, like, that's not your book anymore. Give it to God Knows. <laughs> so God Knows is preaching some of what we're doing over there at his church. Um, so be encouraged by that. But um, So thankfully, Amazon does work on a plane. And so that book got here in time. So here we are. So we're going to be talking about um, Behind Enemy Lines. And it's a, a series on spiritual warfare. And so um, if you have your Bibles... Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to start. We're going to be, spend some time in different, different parts of Ephesians. But Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, 10 through 12 for today. And um, so behind enemy lines. And so we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. And one of the things that I know about spiritual warfare is most of us, we don't really talk about it a whole lot. Uh, we, we we're kind of timid around it. Um, it's something that we can't really touch or feel. We don't understand it. And so we have a tendency to not talk about it. And so um, it's kind of like patience. If you um, pray for patience, you're going to have opportunities to learn it. And so as I've been studying and preparing for this message about spiritual warfare, um, my antennas have been up and the attacks of the enemy have been very evident in my own personal life. And so um, as you I'm, I'm giving you that as a warning that as you receive this and you listen and you hear your antennas are going to be up and you're going to be aware to you're going to be more aware i believe of of the cosmic warfare that goes on that we have a tendency to just blindly walk past and so i want you to be aware of that and just be attuned to those things over the next few days and so behind enemy lines and there's a passage that paul talks about and paul says do not give the enemy a foothold or a stronghold and it's a military term which means to establish a base of operation behind enemy lines. 
And so we saw that in World War II where our troops established a foothold or a stronghold behind enemy lines in Normandy. And we were able to, because of that establishment and, and the risk that was taken to do that, we were able to establish a base of operation so we could therefore advance and win um, the war in Europe. And so Paul is drawing upon language like that, and he says, Do not allow the enemy, which our enemy is Satan, to establish a foothold behind the lines in your life to advance so that it feels like, it seems like the enemy is winning. And so we're going to talk about what it means and what it looks like for for Satan and the strategies that he uses to establish a foothold in our lives. And in, in most of those places, it actually has to do with the relationships, a husband-wife relationship, a kid relationship, a work relationship. Those basic things that we do day in and day out is where he tries to establish a foothold to advance his agenda. So if you have your Bibles, or if not, it's going to be on the screen, Ephesians chapter 6. Starting in verse 10. And so remember in Ephesians, we just did a series on the whole book of Ephesians. But um, in Ephesians, it's a large, it's written to the city or the church at Ephesus. It's a large city, about 250,000. The main worship outside of Christianity is, is a temple of Diana or Artemis, which is a fertility cult. And so as people are coming to Christ, they're coming out of this kind of a, it's a, where you find your identity in a whole different way. In this worship than you do in worship through Christ. And so they're coming out of this. They're first generation Christians. And so Paul is telling them, hey, relationships, be, be aware of that. And then he says here in verse 10 of chapter 6, he says, here's a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now that word strong is a, is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command to continue to grow in his strength. Because you're located in Christ. So in other words, your location used to be outside of Christ, but when you say yes to Christ, now you are located in him and clothed in him. So be strong in, as you begin to get comfortable in the clothes that you now have in Christ and your location in him, begin to trust in him, you're going to gain strength. You're going to gain wisdom. You're going to gain all the things that come from the unlimited resources of God the Father. You're going to begin to gain those things as you begin to trust him. So it's strength that's not our own strength. It's his, and it comes from us surrendering to his power and to his authority. So that as we get to know the Lord and trust him, we begin to relinquish more of what we think gives us purpose and identity and worth and value and lean into his strength and his power. So be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And so that mighty power is a word that's only used of God and God's strength. And it's this idea of iron sharpening iron. The strength of iron is made stronger and more useful. And so here Paul is telling us as we are located in Christ and as we begin to trust in him, our strength Seemingly becomes weaker, but our strength is not our strength, it's his. And the power that we begin to understand that's not our power, it's his power, is because of us, again, trusting. And the iron that begins to sharpen. Be strong in the Lord. It's a command for us to, in in this interesting way, this kind of this paradox, for us to release authority and to trust. Because in our own power, in our own strength, we don't have the power, the authority, or wisdom to win the battle. So it's literally relinquishing over 
to Christ. Even Paul kind of explains it even in more depth if you look over in Ephesians chapter 1. I don't know if that's going to be on the screen. Is it on the screen? No, it's not. So listen. Or read it in your Bibles. I also pray, this is Ephesians 1 starting in verse 19. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. All right, this is that unique word. It's only God's power. For us who believe in him. This is the same. This is cool. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. So in other words, if you are located in Christ, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit has taken residence with inside of you. And so that Holy Spirit empowers you. You now have access to the same power through the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. There is no power stronger than that. And so therefore, the things that we struggle with in life have no authority, have no power over us other than what we allow them to have. It's literally a matter of, do we trust that if we flip the switch, that the power of God is powerful enough to overcome the things that we struggle with? That if we plug in the plug, that it's going to do what it's supposed to do. And for many of us, the things that we struggle with in life, the reason that we continue to struggle with them is because we haven't quite got to the place that we trust that if we flip the switch, that God's going to do what he wants us to do. And we're afraid of what the results might be, of what he might require of us. He might require us to go to Zimbabwe and live there. Right? And so we have these things of what God might require of us, where in reality, God just wants you to be free. Don't worry about all this other stuff, but, but find freedom, trust in him enough to let him and his power flip the switch. Because God, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that power that raised Christ from the dead resides within you through the power of the Spirit. And that same power that raised him from the dead seated Christ in a place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now... He is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. And so Paul is, if you look at, go back to chapter 6 in Ephesians, and and you look at verse 12, you'll see that, that there's powers and rulers. And so Paul is talking about Jesus. There's rulers and authority. There's a cosmic battle going on, and Jesus is above them. Now look at Ephesians 3.16, still on this idea of the power. I pray that from his Christ's glorious unlimited resources. So in other words, when when you come to the Father, he doesn't just have, hey, I have this, I have this. All of the resources are at our disposal. So I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with the inner strength through his spirit. In other words, everything that the Father has for us is at our disposal. It's just a matter of what we ask. One, the power is there, but also the resources are there for us to overcome. Then look down, continue on in Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work in us to accomplish infinitely more than what we might ask or think. This mighty power at work in us is the transforming power of the gospel. 
that as we begin to know and understand and spend time with Jesus and trust him, that we allow him more access and more authority and more power in our life, that we experience more freedom. And it's this ongoing that we continually grow in an understanding of the power and authority that God has and that we can give over to him, that we, we struggle in so many things and where he has the power and authority to win the battle. Defeating spiritual forces in our own strength is impossible. It's not going to happen. But the strength provided is none other than the same power that raised Christ from the dead that you have access to. It's just a matter of flipping the switch. Go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Now look at verse 11. So we know now that our power and authority comes from, from Christ. And he, he's empowered us. So therefore, then Paul tells us, now that you know that you have this power, now put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all of the strategies of the devil. And this, this idea of God's armor is the fullness of the armor because there's moments for offense and there's moments for defense. And so that we're, we're, when we put on the armor, we have to put all of it on because the devil is doing whatever he does. Our enemy is doing whatever he does. And he's looking for moments and spaces of vulnerability. So all of the armor works together. And so if you decide, hey, today I don't need the belt, then your pants are going to fall down when you got to run. Right? Are y'all, y'all awake? Okay, so if you don't put on everything, like you have to wear it ever because there's going to be moments for offense and there's going to be moments for defense. And so it says, hey, put on all of the armor. Why? So that you'll be able to stand firm. That in the battle... You're standing here, your shoes are on, you're ready to go, you don't know what's happening, you're waiting for the command and you stand firm in that moment, that you're ready in full armor to go ahead. And why are we standing firm? We're standing firm because the strategies of the devil are about to happen. Like he's scheming, he's got a plan for defeat. And the interesting thing about this idea of standing firm and in all this is in our American minds... We happen to think that Paul is talking to each one of us individually and us alone. And yes, he's talking to us individually, but he's talking to us in the context of community. He's talking to us in the context of a church. And so when he says, you put on all of God's armor, he's not just talking to Chris. He's talking to every single one of us in here in Christ is that we are to put on our full guard. Because if one of us shows up to battle without the full battle guard, then the team is vulnerable. And so the devil is looking for opportunities to attack individuals, but more importantly, individuals within the church. Because if he can get us distracted, then he's going to win, or he thinks he's going to win. And so for us, Paul is telling us, listen, every single one of us, we're responsible not only to ourselves, but we're responsible to our teammates. We dress up for offense. We dress up for defense. We come together. When the, when the call is sound, we come together and we stand together to wait for whatever's going to happen because the, the devil has got a plan and he's got a strategy and he's coming. And listen, each one of us are unique. We each have our unique personalities. We have our unique gifts. We have unique family situations. And so what you're tempted by may not be what I'm tempted by. 
What you struggle with may not be what I struggle with. But Satan is looking for each one of our vulnerabilities. And in those moments where we think we got something licked and we don't fully prepare for the battle is the moment that we're about to get taken. That an arrow is going to come and it's going to strike us in a place where we weren't prepared. Because here's also the other part is when we fight together, we're able to keep an eye out for each other. This is the part that many times in the church that we miss is that we can't battle alone. And what does that mean? Is that means that somebody has to know your vulnerabilities. Somebody needs to know your strengths. And so that in those moments where maybe you're vulnerable, someone who loves you and cares you and knows about you can call you and say, hey, how are you doing? And then you can say, not good. And when you say, when you're honest and you say you're not good, guess what another warrior does? They, can, they come and they stand back to back with you and they become ever vigilant with you to protect you because we need everyone in the battle. And each one of us bring unique strengths and talents to the battle. So put on all of God's armor so you'll be able to stand firm against the devil, strategies of the devil. Verse 12, for we are not fighting. Now, this is an interesting word. It's a, an, it's a word of intense hand-to-hand combat to the death. So now, I grew up in a home where you could not watch wrestling growing up because that was from the devil. But my parents went to bed sometimes, and I did partake of it. And so I, a couple of times, watched these, what they called cage matches or death matches, and the, the cage would drop down, and, you know, chairs were thrown in, and there was all kinds of fake blood and all that kind of stuff, and everything's happening. That, that's kind of what I imagine in this hand-to-hand, to-the-death kind of a battle of there's a struggle going on, and someone is going to win. And so look what Paul says. He says, for we are not in this hand-to-hand, up-close, intense battle like wrestling We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. So that means none of you here are my enemies. But too many times, see it in church, we get distracted and we become somebody annoys us or somebody does something and they become an enemy. And Paul says, listen, mankind, we are the mission of God, not the enemy. And so Satan, his, one of his strategies is to distract us, and we begin fighting with each other over the color of the carpet or, man, I don't like the lights. Why did they use purple light? You know, whatever it could be. It's the smallest, minute things that get us distracted away from the mission of God, and we get to fighting each other instead of fighting the enemy. And so Paul says our fight is not against each other, but he uses heavenly language against evil rulers. So when you maybe read it, you're reading evil rulers and you think about people, different rulers around the world. And maybe, but more importantly, evil rulers that have heavenly influence and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits. In the heavenly places. So our battle, there's a definite battle. We're in a spiritual war, but it's not with each other. So be nice to one another because we do have a true battle. That we need each other. We need to stand firm together in the fight against our true enemy. 
So a couple of things I want you to get this morning. One is we are in a spiritual war. Spiritual warfare is a cosmic conflict waged in the invisible spiritual realm, but is simultaneously fleshed out in the visible physical realm. It's happening. Now, one of the things I think that there's a tendency for us to not teach on it is because we're afraid of what might happen. That we're afraid of that if we're conscious of it, 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 it scares us. Um, another thing I want you to get is we have the right commander to win the war. Was it say, be strong in the Lord? Not in our own might, but our own strength, but be right. We have the right commander because we're strong in the Lord. Through Christ's work of the, the death and resurrection, God has given us victory over an enemy that seeks to intimidate us, seeks to deceive us, seeks to destroy us, and seeks to kill us. Look at John chapter 10. You can read that in fullness. And and Jesus tells us the character of Satan, our enemy. The third thing is that we have the necessary equipment to win the war. We'll we'll look at it in more detail, verses 13 through 18 over the next couple weeks. But we have the necessary equipment. We have God's armor. It's not our armor. Our armor is not strong enough. God's armor, we just got to put it on. All of it. And I'm reminded of, of the story of... David, before he's king, whenever he shows up and there's this Philistine, the Goliath, and he's, you know, the enemy. And no one has the uh, courage. I'm trying to think of a, an adult word that wouldn't be offensive. Um, courage to fight Goliath. And so David says he will fight him. And he shows that Saul then begins to put him in his, his armor. And quickly David realizes, hey, listen, this is your armor. It doesn't fit me. The armor that God's given me is unique to me. And so he uses the armor that he's been given, which was a slingshot in great accuracy and shows up to fight. And Goliath, the enemy, is surprised. And each one of us, God has gifted us and he's given us armor unique to us to fight the battle in the way that he's given us, that he's created us to do it. Wear the armor that God's given you and fight that way. And then the fourth thing I want you to see is that we have our enemy's game plan. Now, today we're in a video driven world. And so every athletic team, I, even even when I coach peewee football, we had game film from the other team. Four year old football and we've got game film. OK, that's just how crazy it is. So we have game film of other people. We have game film for Satan. We know his game plan. Now, a good coach today in their sports, let's talk football for just a second. They know, they look for every minute thing on game film. To the point, I have a friend that played in the NFL. And we were talking about game film. And he said, Chris, the one thing that most people don't understand about the NFL from, from college even and from high school stuff, he goes, we watch hours and hours and hours and hours of film so that we can see if a guy puts his finger down and if his pinky does something different on a play to the right, then we know that. And so that when I walk up to the line of scrimmage as a safety, I'm looking at that guy's pinky. And if his pinky is white, then that means they're running to the right. If his pinky is not white and this has more, they're going to the left. I mean, to that 
intricacies of the details of the game plan. And Satan is doing the same thing with us. He has watched our game film and he's looking for moments of vulnerability. He knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows your weaknesses. He knows the time of the day. He knows when you're all the different things about us. He knows us. And we're not his first enemy. He's been doing this for a long time. And so he knows humanity. He knows our strengths and our weaknesses. And he knows when you're alone. He's looking for those moments when you are alone and your weakness so he can attack and pounce. Even First Peter tells us that the enemy is like a roaring lion walking around looking to devour. Now listen, one of the cool things about Zimbabwe as we were, as we were prepping for the trip, someone said, hey, Chris, we're going to go down to the farm. At the farm, you might see a giraffe. I was like, cool. Like, giraffes would be cool. And I got to see a giraffe. That was really cool. They're faster than me. I did try to catch one, but they're faster. Chris, you might see a Cape Buffalo. I'm like, awesome. Chris, you might see a crocodile. I'm like, cool. I won't go near that dude. I've, I've seen Discovery Channel. Um, and then, Chris, you might see an elephant. And I'm like, really cool. I've seen elephants in Asia, but I've never seen an African elephant. That's cool. And then they're like, and lions. And I was like, I hadn't thought about a lion. Like, giraffes are cool, crocodiles I know not to get in the water. You know what I mean? All this stuff. And a lion, like... So then I start looking around the van. And I'm like, I'm faster than them. I'm faster than them. I can trip I can trip her and get far enough ahead. Right? I mean, you start thinking about your game plan. When you realize that you could be under attack, you begin thinking, how am I going to get out of this? But here's what's interesting. is Paul tells us, under attack, we don't run, but we stand firm. Why? Because somebody is vulnerable. And so Peter tells us there's a lion by the name of Satan that's walking around looking to devour us, but to stay alert and be aware so that we're not devoured. Be on the move. There's a painting called Checkmate, and it's has been in the Louvre, but it's just been sold to someone who it's now in their private collection. But before it was um, sold, a grand chess master had come to see this painting and you can see the painting there and the guy in the green is depicted he's supposed to be satan and if you look closely he kind of has a little smirk on his face and he's kind of like hey there's you have no other moves your next move is going to be your final move and the young man there is kind of in despair because he he thinks in that moment that hey he's only got one move and the next move is going to be the final move for him and he's going to lose and a part of the story is that when the guy painted it it was this guy the young man was playing chess against Satan, and if he lost, he would give over his soul. And so this grand chess master went to sit at the feet of this and just kind of look at it and study it. And after a long day, he actually came back to the director of the Louvre and said, Listen, yes, the name of this thing is called Checkmate, and everybody thinks that Satan is going to be the winner. He said, but actually the young man has one final move. And that one final move is he, if he moves his king to the right place, he will actually have checkmate. Man, that's our story. And those moments where we feel like we're at the end and checkmate has been called over us. 
Not in our own strength, not in our own power, not in our own wisdom. Our king of kings has one final move to be made. And the cool thing is he's already made it. So whenever we're at the chessboard, we're not playing chess for victory. We're playing chess from victory. We've already won. We already know the final victor. And our king of kings will make the final move and checkmate. Won't come from our voice but has already come from his voice. So listen, spiritual warfare is real. Um, Over the next few weeks as we dig into this, I think it will become evident to you that there are things that maybe you've just not been conscious of that has been some spiritual warfare that maybe you haven't been, just not been aware of. If you're not a follower of Jesus, the enemy does what he can do to keep you from becoming one. His greatest desire is for not more people to join the battle team against him. Even on our trip back, we were in um, Harare, Zimbabwe, waiting for our flight. And uh, this Chinese couple um, sat down next to us, and they were talking about life in China. They're from Beijing, and we were kind of stuff. And they asked us what we do and what I do. And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And and uh, they're like, why are you in Zimbabwe? So we went that whole thing. And then and all of a sudden he goes, listen, he goes, listen, you're a pastor. He goes, I've got some questions. And I'm like, okay, God, here we go. And he's like, I'm a, I'm a man of science. And his wife is like, yes, we're science, science, science wins. And he's like, but my mom just became a Christian. He's like, she's 90 years old. And she's in Beijing and she just became a Christian and and um, he goes, she used to smoke and drink and cuss. And she said yes to Jesus and all that stuff's gone away. And he goes, that's kind of cool. You know, he goes, hopefully she'll live longer as a man of science. She's, you know. And he said, but here's the interesting thing. He said, the thing that's, that's really, he's, he's like, it's thrown me for a loop is, is in our conversation. He goes, I, I saw that she wasn't drinking, smoking and cussing. But she told me, she goes, I'm sorry, I have not loved you well. She goes, I have now experienced the love of Jesus. And I realize that as your mother, I have not loved you like I should have. You imagine being 60 and your mom telling you that I've been so transformed by the love of Jesus. I recognize that I have not loved you. And he goes, the interesting thing is it's not just happened to my mom, but now my sister has said yes to Jesus. And I'm watching the same transformation that's happened to my mom. Now I'm watching it to my sister. And he goes, I don't know what to do with that. As a man of science, I don't know what to do with that. And as his wife is like, mm, I don't either. Science wins. Here's what I know. I walked away from that conversation. That man's ready. He's ready. His wife's not yet. But he's ready. And all the battleground... And his heart is going. I can just see the spiritual war of I do not want this man to say yes to Jesus. And in honesty between you and me, his wife is part of it. And so I pray that his wife would not have influence over him in this area. Because I want him to, to know Jesus and to transform If you're a believer, the enemy does what he can to keep you from living the life, the full life that God has for you. He's keeping you and saying, listen, don't flip that switch. You don't know what God might require of you. 
So don't flip it. If you're a believer, I want you to hear this. If you're a believer, demons cannot inhabit you. This is a common question I get every once in a while um, in relation to this. If you are a believer, then God in the presence of the Holy Spirit has indwelled you and you are now a temple of the living God. And you are a holy place. So therefore, unholy and holy cannot reside in the same place. So residence, your heart is the residence of the living God. You can't be inhabited by demons, but you can be influenced. You can be ping-ponged around if we allow it. So if you're in Christ, you have access to God's mighty power to stand firm and to fight. It's not in your power. It's not in your might. It's not in your strength. It's not in your endurance. It's in His. But be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've given us the game plan of our enemy. Thank you, even more importantly, that we fight a battle not from a position of for victory, but from victory. That we, we fight with a confidence that's not our confidence, but a confidence in you. That you've already called checkmate. And our enemy just doesn't even know it. Father, I pray that this week, as we go through the week, that we're just, that our eyes are open to the things that are before us and that we're conscious, soul conscious of the war going on. Father, maybe even some of the things that we just kind of casually went by or maybe even some of the things that we read or see on the news that we've let go, that we, we don't let those go. That we just, maybe in that moment, just say, God, you, your, your victory is won, but man, that burdens my heart. Father, thank you. That the ultimate victory was won and declared with your death and your resurrection through the cross. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.